church. Today is the fourth and final Sunday of Advent, a season derived from the Latin word for coming. During Advent, we've been marveling at and celebrating Jesus's first coming to this earth, how he came to be Emmanuel, God with us, and save us from our sins. We've also been encouraging one another to wait well for Jesus's return, his second coming, where he will fully and completely make all things right again. We've been doing as scripture commands, staring one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, but encouraging one another, all the more as we see the day of Christ's return approaching. Our song and spoken prayers this morning consist of two parts. The first part is focused on remembering Jesus's first coming already. The second part is focused on looking ahead to Jesus's second coming, not yet. If you're able, please stand as we worship. is what took place the night that Jesus was born, according to Luke. Let's read this passage together. I will read the plain text on the screen. Please read the bolded and italicized text that follows. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them.
as we continue now in spoken prayer, you can listen as I pray on our behalf. You can also read the prayer that will be projected on the screen. As always, feel free to speak your amens as we pray. Father God, we praise you and give you all the glory. You are good and faithful. Everything that you promise comes to pass. Everything that you declare is true. You are God alone. There is no other. There is none like you. We confess our sins before you today. We repent of our covetousness and envy. Instead of giving thanks for all that we have, we have complained and grumbled. Lord, in your mercy, forgive us. We repent of our lust and greed, how we have sought to satisfy our desires at the expense of others when you commanded us to love our neighbors with generosity. Lord, in your mercy, forgive us. Thank you, God, for saving us from our sins and calling us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of your own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. In this grace and through the power of the Holy Spirit, help us to live and walk according to your ways. Amen.
Every 
expectation for Christ's second coming, his second advent, you can listen as I pray on our behalf. You can also read the projected words of this prayer. Jesus, as we long for your return, for this is what you say you will do in your word. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Lord, we pray that our family members, friends, classmates, teachers, co-workers, neighbors, and those in our communities will be part of this chorus we read in Isaiah. Please show your power even now as you heal the sick, restore broken relationships, provide for the hungry, bring people out of depression, and turn people's hearts back to you. Use every one of us here in where you placed us to share Jesus, who he is, what he's done, and what he will do to those around us. We love you, Lord. We eagerly await your return. Amen. The peace of Christ to you Please speak that peace to someone or several people around you.
All right, hello, welcome everyone. Welcome, um, especially if you're new, um, welcome. I know we're in a different room and um, some faces that we're used to seeing are not here, I guess, um, with holiday, travel, and so on. Some people we haven't seen in a while, hello, hello, uh, welcome. Um, just wanna let you know a few things that are happening in our community. Um, the next two Sundays, um, are like holiday Sundays. So the first one is a Christian holiday Sunday. It's Christmas Day. And uh, we'll be uh, at this hotel in our normal room on the other side of this lobby uh, level. And um, Tyson's are going to be there. That group is going to be joining us as well. Um, so it'll be really nice. Um, for both that Sunday and the following Sunday, which is New Year's Day, um, we're going to have fourth and fifth grade um, Kids, so like the oldest of the God's Garden kids will be with us as well. Um, so yeah, we'll see you there. Also, can you guys be nice to the Tyson people? When they come, please just um, be welcoming. And they're like, some of them you, you know already, they, they were worshiping here like many years ago and stuff, but uh, some of them are like, well, where is this? Like, what are we doing? Like, what room is this? And so just please be uh, nice to them. Um, in January, we're starting a class called First Sings. Um, this is especially for people who are sort of new, like new to the church or new to Christian faith generally. First Things is a good place to talk about um, questions that we have about the Bible, about like what churches do, about what um, the gospel of Jesus is and other common questions. And the heart of the class is to give people an opportunity just to ask their questions and talk about them together. Um, so this First Sings group is going to be, meet be meeting on five Sundays, um, Sunday evenings between January 2nd and February 19th. Please register um, using the, um, the link that you'll see on our website. We will meet by Zoom. Um, that will be a, a link provided by email before that first session. So we hope to see you there. If, if there's someone you know that you think would really benefit from being in that group, please um, invite them and let them know. Um, it should be a really good, good time. And, um, and um, so we'll just last thing, we'll talk about this uh, end of year giving very briefly. So for tax purposes, so we give as a church. Um, we give to one another and we give to the work of God. And um, for your tax purposes, um, the tax year ends December 31st. And... Um, Giving statements for 2022 will be going out via email next year. So if you've been with us for you know more than a year and, and you've given and you're used to getting something in the mail, um, that's a change. So just look out for your email. Okay. Um, I'm just going to pray just very briefly as we um, you know offer this offering um, as part of our worship together. So please pray with me. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the coming of Jesus already and the coming of Jesus not yet. And uh, like we've been praying, pray uh, he would come soon. Lord, as we're waiting, um, we worship you, we honor you, we um, follow you. And uh, Lord, we want to have our life just fully open to you, fully yours. And um, this, this financial offering that we give is just it's like a, a token of that, Lord. Um, 
Lord, we give generously, we give with faith, not just this offering, but Lord, our whole life together. Lord, it's, it's a life that we want to live generously and with faith. Lord, thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, well, today um, we are going to be giving, getting, sorry, we're going to be getting a sermon uh, from one of our elders, Kyung Ro. Um, it's, it's really um, a delight to me to um, have him speaking to us. Um, I know some of you guys heard him over the summer and you've heard him in the past and um, I'm, I'm sure you've benefited um, as he has led us in, in just sitting before the word of God. Um, I just want to just say a couple things you may not know about him. So I don't, I don't think he was introduced this way over the summer. Okay. I was thinking about doing two truths and a lie. But um, I'll just, okay, I'll just do it. All right. Okay. Here are three statements. You can guess which one is a lie. There are two truths and a lie. Kyung was a contestant on Jeopardy. Like, it was on TV. He was a contestant on Jeopardy. Okay? And then the second statement is, um, between his birth to age 18, when he left home um, after high school, he ate at a restaurant 15 total times. And the third statement is, he has set up an internship program at his work um, where he has clout and he has created an internship program, especially for underrepresented minorities. Can you guess? It's, a tr it's sort of a tricky one. It was number two because he only ate at a restaurant like twice, not 15 times. <laughs> so anyway, um, but this is Kyung. Um, you know, just I'm really looking forward to um, meditating on the scripture as he leads us. And I just ask that as he comes up, can you give him a very warm hand? He's a great elder for us. Thanks, Carl. Uh, Carl's a great hype man, but I also want to temper expectations a little bit. Uh, <laughs> I don't have any special anointing. I'm not a pastor. I didn't go to seminary. I don't have, I'm not any more qualified to interpret the word or preach the word than anybody else. But I hope you see that as an encouragement to you, not just me being self-effacing or, or negging myself, but to encourage you to explore the word and to see what you can uh, learn from it. My sister likes to tell this story uh, from when I was maybe six or seven years old, pretty soon after we came to the States from Korea. And I have no conscious memory of the story, but I have no doubt that it's true because she's told it forever. And it goes like this. She found, like one after a Sunday, we had got home from church, and she was looking for me to come to dinner, and uh, she found me praying in a closet, like sitting by myself. And she's like, what are you doing? I said, I'm praying that God will make me Superman. Because apparently the sermon that day, at least in the children's ministry, was you can ask God for anything. God is mighty. God will do anything for you. So I was like, oh, my goodness. God can make me Superman. And she laughed and laughed, told everybody in my family. Every time she could, uh, she could tell the story, she would. And a few years after that, this one I do have a conscious memory of, is uh, at church we were told what heaven was look, what it would look like, what this vision of heaven in Revelation was. And I heard it and I thought, but that just sounds like church. Like, I thought heaven was going to be no school, I can eat whatever, chocolate, whatever I want, but like, heaven is singing? Like, that, that doesn't sound so great. That's was, I don't know, maybe eight or nine years old at that time. But what I want to look at today is let's look at what Scripture says about what it will actually look like when Jesus returns. 
So can you look with me to Revelation 21? We'll start with verse 1. Revelation 21. Revelation, by the way, not revelations. That's a pet peeve of mine. Whenever I hear somebody say revelations, it's like like nails on a chalkboard. Revelation 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, Sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. I'm going to skip down to verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day. There will be no night there. It will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Okay, Revelation 22, verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street and of the city, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Uh, we can skip ahead to verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. So when we say, Come, Lord Jesus, when we sing it, when we pray it, what are we actually saying? We are saying we eagerly await for Jesus' return. Yes, we are saying that we know Jesus will come back. But we're also saying all of this, this is what we want to see. This is what we want to We want to see healing. We want to see God putting an end to death and pain, of wiping every tear from every eye. This is what we're saying when we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. We want to experience this for ourselves. But here's the thing about living in the already and the not yet, where we're in between, is that we're not going to experience that for ourselves until he comes back. But does that mean we give up? Does that mean we just wait and just settle for nothing while we wait for his return? I think that's kind of like a ridiculous thing to say. It's a bit of a straw man argument, right? Like, if somebody said the pasta in Italy is great and you can't get pasta like that anywhere else, 
Well, that may be true, but if someone gave you a plate of delicious pasta today, you wouldn't turn it down. You wouldn't say like, oh, this is not the real thing, so I don't want it. No, it's good. Take it. Try it. Taste it. It may not be the real thing, but it's pretty good. And you can have a taste of it now while we wait, while we, uh, wait for the opportunity to have the real thing. So we live in this reality where we won't see all of it, but we want that taste of it. So what is that? What, what can we do to get a taste of that now? Uh, so three things that I want to talk about today in this vision of heaven that was given to John 2,000 years ago and this vision of heaven that can inform how we want to live today to get a little bit of taste of heaven, to get a little bit of a preview of what it's going to be like and enjoy that for ourselves. So let's start uh, those three points today, life of community, a uh, life of healing, and a life of worship. So let's start with community. Uh, we talk about this a lot. Paul talks about it a lot. We talk about it a lot in our small groups and our ministry meetings. Why? Why do we talk about this so often? Uh, put simply, our vision of heaven itself is life lived in community. God's promise to us is as his people. If you look all the way back in 21, at the beginning of the, at the, beginning of the chapter, this, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. This is a promise given not to an individual, but to a community, and that a vision of life in heaven is a vision of life lived together. Now, that sounds really obvious, but sometimes it's worth stating the obvious because it's not something that's uh, easily internalized. It's so easy for us, especially as Americans living in an American culture, to think of everything in an individualistic way. And I you know, used to think about that too when I, was in, you know, when I was growing up in churches. What I heard about was my personal relationship with Jesus. Jesus is your personal Lord and Savior. That's true. But that is, that is so incomplete because the promise is given to us as a community. It's not even given to you and me individually, which is also true, but it's given to us collectively. And I honestly think the problem is not just the individualism in American culture, Part of the problem is actually the English language. The English language is, uh, does not distinguish when it says you. When you read you in the Bible, in Hebrew or in Greek, that you is a plural word. And those of you who have studied other languages know that plenty of languages distinguish between singular and plural you. English used to do that too. We used to have thou and thee and ye and you. And over time, it all just became you. And so when you read something in scripture, when you read Paul write to the Romans that uh, therefore, the spirit of life has set you free from the life, from the sin of, uh, sorry, I gotta, I gotta remember the whole thing. Uh, therefore, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. It's easy to think, oh, he's talking to me. He's not. He's talking to us, right? When, when, he, when uh, Paul writes in Corinthians that you are not your own, but you were bought at a price. That is us, not me. In the Old Testament, when the prophet, uh, the prophet Jeremiah says, God tells the prophet, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. We take that to mean me. That's God's promise to me. It is not. Well, it's not just that. It is. It's not just that. It is God's promise to us as a community of believers. Even as we went through this story of Jacob last month, what we saw over and we heard about God's covenant, God's promise. God's promise was given to an individual. It was given to Abraham, but it was for his people. 
So it's very easy, and I fall to this all the time, to think, oh, that's just for me personally. That's not the case. And we ignore all of the context of that, the fact that it's, it's written to a plural form, the fact that it's written to a church. So all of Paul's letters to churches, the church in Rome, the church in Ephesus, the church in Colossae, those are written to communities of people. And the reason I keep harping on this is because it's really easy to think about the me part and not about the one another part. There's a hundred times in the New Testament where that phrase is used, love one another, bear one another's burdens, pray for one another, encourage one another. It's always the same word. It's just one word in Greek. And it's used in the Gospels. It's used in Paul's letters. It's used in Hebrews. It's used everywhere in the New Testament because it's so critically important that we do these things, these commandments to love one another. How are you supposed to love one another or carry one another's burdens if you're not living in a community? This is why it's so important. And this is why the first thing that I want to talk about in this vision of heaven is a life lived together. And also, it is not a coincidence that this is referred to as a holy city. Cities, then as now, are places of where you can't avoid other people, right? Cities are places where people are coming in from all different walks of life. It's a community of people, whether you like it or not. Cities are not a place for you to be a hermit. Cities are not for you to live. You can, I guess, if you re try really hard to avoid people, but it's pretty difficult. Uh, now, that's not to say that those of you who live in the city or someone like who lives in the suburbs like me, doesn't, it's not, I'm not making a value judgment on whether you live in the city or not. What I am saying, though, is that um, the metaphor as used in the city, in, again, implies community, implies living together, working together. It isn't, God's vision of heaven is not you sitting alone in your room. God's vision of heaven is not your, you and your, only your personal relationship with God. God's vision of heaven is not you living in a cabin in the woods or living in a cave by yourself. God's vision of heaven is a city, is a community of believers. So what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us as a church? Well, one thing that I would encourage you to do when you read scripture, uh, especially, is to think about what it means to, have, to say that this promise is for us and not just for me. And this might sound a little dumb, and I honestly I kind of think it's kind of dumb too, but like there are places in the South, particularly in Texas, where y'all can be used as a singular or plural. It can use, you can use it to describe one person or a group of people. But when you say all y'all, that means a group of people. So when you read scripture, most times think of it not as y'all or you. Think of it as all y'all, right? It's plural. It is meant for us together. Maybe that will help you reset the way you think a little bit about it because our natural tendencies are going to be, this is for me. But let's think about it as this is for us. So this, all of this shows that uh, community is really important to God. But why is that the case? Why is this so important to God that we live in community? Well, one, God tells us that it's not good for us to be alone. That's what he said to Adam in Genesis so he when he created Eve. So that should be good enough for us, right? Well, and this is what heaven looks like. So it's got to be a good, objectively good thing, even if we don't quite understand why, right? But I also think there's a, at least partly related to the second part of this vision of heaven, which is healing. So this healing that we're, that we're talking about, when God comes and put an end to death, and God will wipe away every tear from every eye, and he says he will, there will be no more mourning or crying or pain. Well, the repetition of that you can take as poetic license. I actually choose to take it as God acknowledging or telling us that there's more than one type of healing. And the healing that he is going to bring is holistic healing. 
and talked about this over the summer as well. I don't expect any of you to remember either. Uh, but uh, the thing I talked about over the summer was when Jesus healed a woman who had been bleeding. He didn't just heal her physically. He restored her to the community. He, re- he healed her spiritually. And this is a holistic healing is, again, what we see in heaven. There's no disease, no mental illness, no loneliness, no addiction, not even anxiety or stress. I don't think I need to sell you on why this vision of heaven is so compelling or why we want to be a part of it. But what can we do about that now? How do we experience that now? How do we get a taste of that now? Just as we try to get a taste of the community life in heaven, in our church community now, what do we do about healing? Well, I mentioned a minute ago that part of living in community is bearing one another's burdens. And I think, actually I know, that there are many people in this church who would gladly bear a burden for someone they love. And I know this because when Matt Ha, our brother here in in Arlington, had a stroke in August, we had dozens of people step up to lead prayer meetings, to ask how they can help, to donate to a GoFundMe, to sign up for visits in the hospital, and then when he went home, and on and on and on. And by the way, if you haven't, I would encourage you to visit him. Let me know if you want to get details. uh, He's watching (laughs) on the stream with his parents. Uh, But we continue to pray for his healing, not just his physical healing, but spiritual and emotional and mental healing as well. So we had people step up, and this is not not rare. We as a church, we've done this over and over. We've had people rally together to help people who need. And though we might have a lot of people who want to step up and be a part of bringing healing to others, I'm not sure we have quite as many people who are willing to open up and ask for healing themselves. I say that partly because everybody needs healing in some way. We all live with brokenness and loneliness or alienation or feeling misunderstood. We all live with physical pain, but we don't always let people know, and we don't always let people in. And I'm saying this to myself as much as to anyone else here. Uh, When I first had some serious health issues, it took me years to admit that something was wrong, that I wasn't okay, and that I needed help. And it got to the point where Pastor Steve told me once, years later, that if he wanted to know how I was actually doing, he would ask my wife, Jenny. Because if he asked me, I would just say, I'm fine. I'm fine. That's all I ever said. I'm fine. It's like I once saw this thing, uh, as a, I guess it was a meme online, of uh, how to interpret the response to how are you doing if you, if you met a native speaker of American English. And it just said, like, if an American is feeling great, we will say, fine. If they're feeling good, we will say, fine. If they're feeling fine, they say, fine. If they're feeling bad, they say, fine. It has to get to, my life is in ruins, before you say anything other than fine. And even then, the answer is, not so great. That's, like, that's how I respond to people, too. And that's not great for me, either, because, again, I want to let people in. I want to know that people, as part of this community, can practice this life of healing together. Not that we can bring the healing. We're just saying that his name is power, his name is healing, his name is life. Absolutely. But can we be a part of how God ministers to us? Can we be a part of how we experience God's love together? Uh, And I deal with this at at work, too, actually, because um, when I talk to people at work about people need a break, when they're feeling, when I know they're burned out or they need, a, they need to take some time away, I will tell them, why don't you take some time off? And frequently the answer is, no, it's okay, I'm fine, I'm fine. And what I tell them, and this is the only thing that's ever gotten through to them, what I tell them is, hey, look, when your team member um, was sick last month or when someone had a baby last year, you gladly stepped up and covered for them. You did their work and you helped them out because you were there for them in their moment of need. 
Why won't you let anyone do that for you? That's the only thing that ever got through to them. They're like, oh, yeah, you're right. I did do that. Yeah, right. They would do that for me. Because I know, and I know that's true because I've done it for them. It's not, a, it's not even part of a quid pro quo arrangement. It's just as something that people do when they're part of a team. And when we live in Christian community, authentic Christian community, as one of our uh, vision statements for this church says, that part of it, carrying one, another bur- one another's burdens and healing, bringing healing to one another, well, you can't do that if you don't know what the other person is going through. And we can't assume that anyone's ever going to know if we don't tell them. So can I encourage you and myself, let people in, ask for prayer, ask for healing, get a taste of what it will be like when Jesus returns to wipe away every tear from every eye. But can we do that for each other in the meantime? Can we get a taste and a preview of what that will be? The healing, the vision of healing in heaven is also not just for individuals, but it's actually given for the nations. And that's in 22, when he says, when the passage says, um, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So that's, again, a collective healing, healing of the nations. Nations in Greek, it's ethne, not nation state, not a country, but like uh, a people group, right? And that's where we get the word ethnic from. So it's a healing of the nations. That's a healing for groups of people. Now, again, you can think of it as um, poetic license. I don't know. I'm, I'm not saying my, the way I, I'm reading it is the way everyone should read it. But the way, I'm, the way I read it is that there really are peoples that need to be healed. What do I mean by that? Well, Growing up in the 80s, my father refused to buy Japanese cars or Japanese electronics. And that frequently meant that we had really pieces of junk that were in the shop all the time. Because we were buying these terrible quality American cars. Well, he was did that because we were Korean. My father's, well, his parents grew up under Japanese occupation. And although he was born short, he was born after liberation, uh, very shortly afterwards, but he still felt that grudge and that resentment, and that I would not, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to support a Japanese company. Why? And I'm not saying that he wasn't right to feel that way, although it seems a little silly now. But there were very real, there was very real harm that was done, and very real uh, reconciliation that needed to happen. That honestly still hasn't happened uh, at that level. You can think about things that go back even further if you ask any Armenian person how they feel about Turks, and they will tell you that you know they they're not they haven't gotten over the Armenian genocide from a hundred years ago, there are conflicts that go back way further than that, where the, the actual con- the, the root source of the conflict has been gone for hundreds of years, but the cycle of violence continues. When I think of healing for the nations, that's what I think. How do we bring peace? How do we bring reconciliation? How do we bring restorative justice to communities who have been wronged? One thing that you know, we think about now in the context of work that we do to advance God's cause of justice now as part of the church is also how do we bring about healing? How do we bring about justice for things that um, have never, that, that continue to be swept under the rug, even in various parts of this country or, and sadly, many, many prominent people on the national stage? We have yet to reckon with this nation's division of sin of slavery in a very meaningful way. So what can we do as a church 
a church that wants to bring healing to the nations, to the ethne, to work for justice and to see this vision of healing and this vision of restoration. Again, we're not going to do this on our own. This is not work that we do. It is work that God does through us as we align ourselves with his heart, as we seek his vision of justice, of righteousness, of mercy, of love for one another in community, working through our church community to bring about healing for the nations. I think about that now, right now, because there's a generation of people in Ukraine who are going to grow up to hate Russians. And how do we bring, I don't know how to bring healing to that. I know that we pray. I know that we pray for peace and reconciliation. I know we do what we can. But let us also seek God's heart for healing as part of this, again, vision of heaven that we want to be a part of. So how do we bring about healing for the nations? Um, Well, how do we see this vision of peace? Well, MLK actually famously said, true peace is not merely the absence of tension. It is the presence of justice. It is the presence of God's justice in particular. So how do we bring that about? How do we long for that? How do we wait for that as part of Jesus' return? How do we do part of that now? (laughs) By the way, whenever I think you know, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I did a, I had to do a, like a three-page book report in elementary school, and I thought I was being all clever, because my book report is the biography of MLK, and instead of writing MLK or Dr. King, I just kept writing the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and not even like J.R. like Jr., and I kept writing that over and over again to hit the page limit. I thought I was being so clever. My teacher did not agree. Anyway, the point is, healing of the nations actually comes when we are overcome, overwhelmed by the presence and glory of God that crowds out our um, very real hurts and grievances, bitterness and resentment, right? When we think about um, what Carl preached about a couple of weeks ago, when we lay down our rights and our entitlements and to think of and to look not only to our own interests but to the interests of others, we're laying down our rights and our entitlements also means laying down our grievances, also means laying down our bitterness, also means working toward forgiveness because that is what God wants us to do. So that can, what can we do as a church to do that? Well, it's, again, seeing the glory of God and being overwhelmed by the presence of God is one part of how we will accomplish that in heaven. We'll all be of one mind, of one heart, because that is what Jesus' vision of heaven will bring is that unity of purpose, because when faced with the glory and the beauty of God, as we just sang, what can you do but sing, but worship, but lay down yourself in the presence of our almighty God? And that takes me to the third point, which is a life of worship. So the third part of heaven that Jesus will bring when he returns is worship. The, the glory of God, the light of God, as it, that was repeated twice in this passage. So that might sound obvious, that heaven is worship, although that was disappointing to my eight-year-old self. That was, but what is, what is worship? What are we doing right now? Why am I talking to you? Why are we singing songs? What are, why are we speaking these prayers? Why are we giving offerings? All of those things are parts of what we actually mean by worship, and what all that we're saying when we say worship is encountering God, seeing God, meeting God, experiencing the presence of God. All of those things are different forms of worship. What I'm doing right now, preaching, and what Carl does most Sundays, is comes from a tradition, if you stop and think about it, where people, were, it's worship through the word and proclaiming the word. 
because for the vast majority of human history, most people were illiterate. Their only interaction with the word of God was spoken. So you had to have sermons where people, sometimes it wasn't even just sermons, it was just people reading scripture. And especially if you're like in medieval Europe and the language of the Bible is Latin and nobody speaks Latin, you have to read it and then you have to explain it. And what I'm doing now is not too different from that. Obviously, everyone here can read. But what I'm trying to do is contextualize the, 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 the spoken word of God. So this is worship through the word, just as we did worship through prayer, spoken prayer and sung prayer, just as we do worship through community, uh, building fellowship. All of this are aspects of meeting and experiencing God. And in fact, all of these are the natural response to seeing something that is great. I don't know if you guys have been watching all the World Cup games. There was one in particular where there's the last group stage game where Korea was playing Portugal. And Korea had to score at the very last minute to, to win the game and move on. We won't talk about what came after. But I, were, I was half listening to a conference call at work. It was like 11 o'clock. It was 11 a.m. I was muted. I was off camera. So I, but when that last goal happened, I jumped up out of my chair and I screamed, arms up, yes. That was my natural response. My natural, overwhelming, uncontrollable response to seeing something great. And maybe, the, and so we, you can talk about it in terms of like World Cup, or maybe if, if you're not a sports fan, maybe it's something like you went to a concert of your favorite artist and they played your favorite song and you just went bananas. And it's not just because it was, they played something that was you really wanted to hear, it's also because that was a shared experience with the people around you where all of you could do that together and it makes it that much better. So if you're not into music, maybe, it's, maybe you're into like nature. And, you know, the first time, we went on a family trip to the Grand Canyon a couple years ago and I, I didn't sing very loudly because I didn't want to disturb people around me. But like I saw the Grand Canyon and I, I literally just started singing. Oh Lord my God, then I an awesome wonder, consider all the works thy hands have made. And Jenny was like, yeah, I started singing the same thing. Because that was my natural response to seeing greatness and beauty and wonder. So when we experience God, when we see God face to face, what can our hearts do but sing, but bow down and adore? But this is, that's all worship is. And maybe you're not into the musical part, totally fine. I went to a worship conference once uh, many years ago where um, people were like, people who came from a charismatic tradition were, were flying banners. Like, they were literally carrying this giant flag and running around the, 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 uh, the sanctuary with it as people were singing and praying. People were dancing in the aisles. Everybody was singing. It was like 2,000 worship leaders, so like everyone was singing in key, which is rare. So like, it was great. It was this amazing experience, right? And whatever it is, that is your natural reaction to encountering God. And that is all I want to encourage you to do today. Maybe it's not music. Maybe it's not um, in the particular forms in which we do that on Sunday morning. But I do want everyone to understand that the reason we do all of these things on Sundays is just that, to meet with God, and to get that little taste of heaven right there. As a sidebar, uh, I promise this will be brief. Uh, by the way, that's, this is all evangelism is, is trying to sh wanting to share that with somebody else. Just as you would tell somebody, oh, you haven't heard this musician, they're great. Or you would tell somebody, oh, you haven't tried this restaurant, it's fantastic. You, you experience something good, you want to share that with other people. So if we are really experiencing God, 
We are meeting with God. How can you do anything but want to share that with those around you? This is great. Don't you, don't you want to try this too? That's all evangelism is. In a slightly darker context, uh, in, uh, a pastor 100 years ago said, evangelism is just one beggar telling another where to find some food. That's all we're doing is sharing and what we have in Jesus. The last thing I want to say about worship is worship in community is greater than the sum of its parts. There's an experience of God together in worship that is different from your individual acts of worship, even in the same room. And this is where I want to take a moment to speak directly to people at home who are watching on the screen. I would, want to, I would encourage you. I know everyone has their different reasons. I've used the stream when I was sick or when we were traveling. Uh, I would encourage you, if you can, join us here. Join us here because it's different. It is, deep, it is part of that corporate experience. It is part of worship in community. And that's why I led with community too. This vision of heaven is also worship in community, worship together, experiencing God together. I mentioned the worship conference. There was one session in particular. Um, it was like an hour and a half. And the other ones were sermons and other things. But this one was just singing for an hour and a half. And that is my that is where my heart is. That is how I experience God most, most deeply and most closely is through music. And after an hour and a half of that, of alternating joy and dancing and tears and confession and conviction, after an hour and a half of that, I walked out of that room and I told the people I was with, oh, now I understand that's what heaven is like. Not what I thought as a child where I thought heaven sounds kind of boring, kind of sounds like church. Well, that's having had that experience or that little bit of a taste now, what I want to encourage you to do is ways in which we can make our church a little bit more like heaven. So can we ask God to mold us through the power of the Spirit to get a taste of what we will know in full when Jesus returns? Paul even writes that in Corinthians, now I know in part, then I will know in full. I think that's what he means. We can get a small taste of that now. We're not going to get the real deal. We're not going to get the full experience. We're not going to have all of it until Jesus comes back. But what we, will, what we are promised when Jesus returns should be informing how we live now and what we choose to do. Let us not be, as C.S. Lewis once wrote, like street urchins content to play in the mud because they cannot imagine what is being offered in a holiday to seek. We know what, this, what greatness awaits us, that we can take hold of that promise now. And that's my exhortation and my encouragement to you today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this beautiful vision of this new heaven, this new earth that will come when you return. And we thank you, God, that we have your promise with us now that we can experience a little bit of that for ourselves. And not just for us individually, but for us as a people, as a community, as a church, that we can live together and offer each other a taste of this life of community, that we could be part of the ways, Lord, that you bring healing into our community, that we could sing together and raise our hands together and pray together and bow down together in worship as we experience you in our corporate worship that we live our lives outside of Sundays that all we want to do, Lord, is be with you, encounter you, experience you, experience the presence and the closeness and the nearness of your spirit in our hearts. 
We pray, Lord, that you would be honored in all that we do as we seek you in your sanctification, as we seek to love one another and bear one another's burdens and heal one another. And we pray for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit as we come to you today, for each of us individually, but all of us collectively as a church. Thank you, God, for your promises to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Uh, we, this is normally as we take our communion, we also say the Apostles' Creed. Today we're going to simplify that a little bit. It's just this really simple part, which is Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. And church, again, my encouragement to you is let's live like we believe it. When we say Christ has died and we believe that Christ has died, that is a life of freedom, freedom from the punishment of sin and death. That's what Jonathan talked about last week. When we say that we believe that Christ has risen, that means we believe that God has power, the power to save and the power to redeem, the power to heal. When we say that we believe that Christ will come again, let that be lived as if we have hope, hope in what that return is and what that will bring us that will tell us how we can live as a church today. So can we say this together? Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Amen. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. In the same way he took the cup and he said, this is my blood. Drink for the forgiveness of sin. This is our sign of understanding of this gospel. That Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Let's do it in repentance and let's do it in um, devotion, but let's also do it in hope. You can come. There's a table here. There's another table uh, back there as well. So, sorry, people over here, you have to have a long walk. But as we, as we take this communion, let us also um, let us, uh, let us sing this song. And let this be our song of response to what Christ has done for us.
very real experience as we long for Jesus, as we get a glimpse of his beauty, as we have a longing, a taste of the longing for his healing, for all the beauty that he brings when he comes again, and all the beauty that we have this, like these foretastes of, like Kelly was talking about, the healing and the beauty, the worship, the community. Just as we're seeing this, Spirit come. Let's just know this is a real thing. Just know that the Holy Spirit is with us, blessing us, filling us, giving us a longing, giving us a taste, giving us a heart for worship, a heart of gladness and joy. Maybe we can just sing it a couple more times.
amen. We sing, come, Lord Jesus, come. We sing joy to the world because we look forward to his coming with joy in our hearts in anticipation of the joy and the renewal that he will bring. So this is how we are sent, church. Next week is Christmas Sunday. Uh, I hope to see you here. But as we celebrate Christmas, as we celebrate Jesus' birth, let us also look forward in hope to his return. And let us, let's that hope and that vision of the future inform how we love one another today. Amen. Go in peace. Hope to see you next week.